Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... The Hunt for Red October. So Eric, I've watched an Arnold since last time we talked. Really? Yeah, and I wanted to see... I didn't know there was any untapped oil in that field. Well, it it may have already been tapped, but you can always go back to that well. So I wanted to know if... uh, I wanted to play a little game, see if you can guess the Arnold. Oh, yeah, please. I love these games. All right, I'm going to give you a... Late 90s. I'm not really good on those. I'll give you a year to start. Okay. The year is 1990. Terminator 2. No. I'll give you another clue. The um, setting of this movie was copied, apparently, for the original Silent Hill video game. I don't know. (laughs) It, It... is one of the most quotable Arnold movies, I think, uh, directed by Ivan Reitman. Kindergarten Cop? Yep, Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> that si- Wait, what? So I read oh, this. Oh, they took this setting and put it for the Silent Hill video game. Yeah, they did. I mean, they surrounded, took this... Being surrounded by children is terrifying. <laughs> it is. But uh, I don't know if this is officially confirmed, but if you, you can go online and read an article, watch a video about how the setting... The, the shots of the interior of the school match almost exactly to the interior of the school in the Silent Hill game, which is, is really weird. Is this one of those weird internet fan theories that's not at all it, legitimate? Or it, could, there... it could be. It could be. But if you watch the evidence, it's pretty uh, striking. That's all okay. I'll say. On the, this seems like remember. the loose change of film theories. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, Kidnarian Cop. Um, I don't know when the last time you saw it was, but... This is um, really remarkable. I really liked it. I love this movie. In -hmm. fact, I have a a short um, autobiographical vignette to uh, talk about with this movie. I I relate to this movie on on like a visceral personal level. Mm -hmm. My first uh, substitute teaching assignment was for kindergartners and first graders as a librarian. Ironically, I was not trying to become a librarian at the time. And I had to read them this story. Uh, And the story was called Hands Are Not For Hitting. And I'll tell you that by the end of that half day, two classes worth of reading this story, I went home, I fell on my bed exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) on his first day of teaching, and my hands wanted nothing more than to hit those children. <laughs> oh man. It was horrible. And that is so true to life. Yeah. And you're kind of like, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger type, you know, just like a big dumb guy. <laughs> I did. Um, I, I didn't make any children cry, but I did frighten them. Okay. Uh, it is. It was at that point that I realized I have no idea how to talk to small children. And I probably shouldn't like I should <laughs> right. myself from their presence. Yes, for everyone's safety. At least in large numbers. For everyone's safety, for the safety of humankind. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, um, well, I'm I'm glad that this movie rings true to life because it's kind of an absurd premise that really works well. I mean, the setup is is done pretty legit. Um, When we started watching this movie, the first shot is of the villain... Richard Tyson in that like oversized suit that he wears walking through oh the street. Oh my God. It's so and, funny. And I instantly flash back to like when I was a teenager watching this movie, I was like, Oh my God, I know that guy. It's just like the whole thing came flooding back. It was a nice nostalgic moment because <laughs> he's a good villain. He's got a cool like villain face and he's wearing that weird oversized suit. With the creepy oh, relationship with his mom. Yes. Yes. Uh, so the one problem with this movie, I think, is Ivan Reitman. I don't think he... The one problem yeah. with this movie is what you just said about it. There <laughs> that are there's no a problem. problems with this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ivan Reitman is not the greatest director. So some things that didn't quite land or there's some emotional beats that he couldn't quite hit. But Arnold is great. And Pamela Reed, his partner in this movie, is like the unsung hero. She is so funny. I didn't realize how funny she was until... 
watching she has recently. maybe the best line in the movie which is saying something when this is arnold's heyday with one-liners right um but she at one point gets run over by the mom like i think it's at the climax of the movie yep. if i remember right mm-hmm. and then she ends up taking the mom out and she's like not so ha- tough without your car are you <laughs> yep. I just love that line <laughs> She's just so funny, but she's always hungry. And then she has her like fiance over and Arnold catches them in bed. And oh man, it just, it's a, it's great. It's so charming. So fun. And the kids are great. And there's a lot of real moments with the kids. So I was uh, really impressed. I just wish it was directed by like somebody who really knew what they were doing. <laughs> Not to say I, don't know. I haven't doesn't. seen that movie in probably five or 10 years, at least yeah. 10, I would say now mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about it, but I don't remember having any issue with it. I feel like that's the kind of movie that really anybody should be able to direct. Yes. Kind I of think set that's... the camera up and watch, let your cast go to work and let the script and your cast mm. uh, do, do what they have, do what they do best. I, I agree. And that's why it's still a four star movie for me. But I think if it had someone who could like really thread the needle between the humor and the action and then the emotional beats, it would, could have been like a five star movie. Every, all the pieces are there. But yeah, Kindergarten Cop. Glad I rewatched it. Yeah, I I really want to see. Did you know that they made a sequel to it like fairly recently? No, I did not. Uh, Starring Dolph Lundgren. (laughs) Are you making a joke? I really hope I'm not making this up and it wasn't a weird fever dream I had. Oh, no, you are right. Kindergarten Cop 2. Like it's straight to Netflix, I think. 2016 Dolph Lundgren. Yep. It's oh older God. than I thought. And I can't believe I haven't watched it yet. We should have a group viewing. It's a 1.6 on Letterboxd. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's it sounds like a straight remake almost. Huh? Oh, well, okay. Let me read you this description. There's a telling difference between this and the original. Well, one's Russian. Duh. <laughs> Assigned to recover sensitive stolen data, a gruff FBI agent goes undercover as a kindergarten teacher, but the school's liberal, politically correct environment is more than he bargained for. Oh my God, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that, that sounds a little uh, like it could this be This was bad. anti-woke before being anti-woke was even a thing. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. But I won't judge until I uh, watch it myself, which eh, unlikely at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I already queued it up on my Netflix to press play the second <laughs> press stop here. All right. Well, I look forward to your report. <laughs> oh man. Did you uh, watch anything nostalgic or otherwise? This, this uh, last time? Not so much nostalgic, although it is about events that happened in the fifties. So figure that out. I watched hmm. the film uh, devotion by JD Dillard. It's a 2022 film about, um, the first African-American naval, well, maybe not naval aviator, but the first fighter pilot, uh, Jesse Brown. And I really did not like it, um, mm. mostly because so I have a, a, a an adaptation, like a book to movie club at the library. Um, so I read this is a true story about this black naval aviator, but it's not about his struggle to become a pilot. It is about things, events that happened in the Korean war. And um, I don't want to get too much into the weeds in the real history, except that's the reason that I did not like this movie. I feel like they heard that a top gun Maverick was coming out (laughs) and they said, we're going to make this top gun in Korea. Um, and the problem, I think, is that these are people's lives. I, I know that it's an adaptation and it's incredibly dense to try to encapsulate everything that was going on in right. the Korean War. Um, and this particular is the Chosen Reservoir, which I didn't know much about before and I only know slightly more about now. But the the basic gist is these fighter pilots are kind of... Um, helping the ground troops escape as they're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of Chinese and Korean pilots. I'm sorry, ground troops. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the book was kind of about the whole thing, instead of focusing on these two pilots, uh, Jesse Brown and one of his wingmen, Tom Hudner, uh, who mm-hmm. was a, was a white guy. 
it would have been fine. But the book and the movie do focus on these two gentlemen specifically, and they make some pretty, um, in my opinion, haphazard character changes. And that's a problem because these are real people. Right. You know, you're not creating these amalgamations of multiple historical figures or you're turning like kind of six Marines into one character in a movie. These are actual people and you should be handling their lives with care. Um, And I think it's hard because in the book, it's very little about the racial qualities of the story about his difficulties becoming uh, the first black naval pilot. He just kind of goes from being a kid in Mississippi to being a pilot. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say that none of the things in the movie happened, but when they repurpose some of these scenes, they do it in a way that almost sets up like the, the military is being the antagonist. If that makes sense. There are all these Marines who are super racist to him on the boat. And none of that is in the book. I don't know if the authors like the authors explicitly say it's based on this particular book. So I don't know if they had secondary tertiary, what have you stories. Um, There's a scene in the movie. Like it was a really powerful scene in the book. They skip over the whole childhood of both of these characters, by the way, which I disagreed with. uh, And I feel like would have been a better way to spend time. Hmm. Um, But there's a scene in the book where the uh, Jesse is a little boy and he's saying racist things to himself in the mirror to harden himself against, you know, what he was experiencing in Mississippi in the Deep South in the 40s and 50s. I can imagine. Yeah. So they repurpose that in the movie to a scene where uh, the white pilot walks in on him in the bathroom doing this to himself. But he's saying things like. I didn't know monkeys could fly or whatever stuff like that. And that was never really in the book. And it kind of makes you, you know, there's one character who's an incredibly racist Marine and, you know, they end up like doing air cover for them to try to help them escape. And you're just like, I kind of didn't want that guy to escape. (laughs) You know, the whole character is wrong. Uh And the whole book, the whole movie is wrong. And I just don't, I don't like when you're adapting a historical thing and just totally change it to make it, you know, something that it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've, I think we've had this discussion in the past too, about um, adaptations of real life. And I tend to, to kind of care less about it, but I do understand your point of, you know, if, if you're going to make an adaptation, then at least make it true to the character or somewhat true to the story or else make something fictional. Yeah. And it was a longer movie. It was about two hours, 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I still felt like it was really superficial. Mm. So just as a movie by itself, not taking into account the true story, it sounds like it still didn't work for you either. It didn't. Um, I'm not sure how fair it is. I'm not sure how good I am at separating the two. Um, especially when I read the book first. It's why I always watch the movie first before reading the book. Okay. (laughs) Because I can then enjoy both. Whereas if I read the book first, I generally can't. But this I thought was kind of disrespectful in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, It took the the pilot character who was kind of his gist in the book was I, you know, I don't let the things bother me. I just am a good person kind of and trust that people are going to figure out that I'm more than my skin color. And they turned him into the trope of the angry black man with a chip on his shoulder. Right, right. So it was just, you know, meh. Yeah, I based on like the previews and what I read about it, it sounded like that type of movie. Like I can kind of picture it in my head already. Um, and I guess they turned the book, which wasn't quite that, into this story. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. And it stars noted monster Jonathan Majors. So. Apparently, uh, disappointingly, <laughs> possibly a monster. I really haven't kept up with that story, but it is really disappointing. It is because disappointing. he was. Everyone in this uh, was phenomenal. By the way, the actors were great at what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved him. Also, uh, the only great thing about Creed Three was Jonathan Majors. He was mm-hmm. the only great thing in Quantum Mania. I thought. Mm-hmm. He was one of the many fantastic things in Loki. So 
it's a shame that uh, he is potentially a terrible person. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll, we'll see how it uh, plays out, but all right. Devotion. Interesting choice for a, uh... I was not devoted to this movie. <laughs> there you go. Glenn Travers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so we have another movie club, you and I, that we sort of do online with some friends where we pick a monthly theme and then just randomly watch movies with that theme. And you picked the theme for this month and it was, I don't know what you called it, but it was, do you uh, remember? It was, I came in outer space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was sci-fi space movies. Sexy with sci-fi movies. space movies. Yep. So, uh, Florian and I did a double feature of sexy sci-fi space movies. I'm so sad that I couldn't make this. Oh, this is great. I mean, you told me like the day before or the day of even. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I was not the, the best, the best friend to you, but, um, ice pirates was the first one. Ice pirates is, uh, a great sci-fi movie by the director of Mac and me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you Camilla... just say that sentence again because it's so nonsensical i'm not sure i heard it right <laughs> it's a great sci-fi movie from the director of mac and me and tammy and the t-rex <laughs> oh my stuart, god stuart raffiel 1984 he did ice pirates which was clearly a comedic riff off of star wars and i remember this movie i was allowed to watch this as a child which is probably mind-blowing Yes, it's definitely uh, like some very adult things in here. Is this the movie with the space herpy? Yes, there's a space herpy. <laughs> Which I had no idea what that was, obviously. <laughs> there's forced castration. Uh, there's there's a lot that. of there's a great sex scene in like a holodeck. I was going to say it's a holodeck and there's like a thunderstorm, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Passion Storm was the name of the program. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, yeah, this is great. It's uh, basically in the future. Um, there's no more water left that's not under the control of some evil government. So there's a bunch of pirates that go out stealing ice from this government to you know sell on the open market. And it follows um, our captain, Jason played by Robert Ulrich and his crew, which has such people as Angelica Houston and Ron Perlman in it. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. And they, they steal some ice from this um, government vessel and the Jason, the captain falls in love with the sleeping princess on board, kidnaps her. And then women love it when you do that. <laughs> yes. At least in eighties movies, they love being kidnapped. That's how you start. Uh, that's how you form loving relationships. I think. I know it, it. It worked for all these movies. Maybe, maybe I should try it, but <laughs> I will not try it. That's horrible. But um, you know, adventures ensue. Wacky hijinks. There's a lot of um, action. A lot of humor. A lot of legit robotics in this movie. There are a lot of robots running around. R two D two C three PO style robots, and they're, they're really impressive. Um, the movie's very janky. Like it feels like it's falling apart at the seams. Like it feels like it's horrible and doesn't work, but then it just slowly grows on you like a herpy. <laughs> it is, it is just, I don't know. There's so many jokes. that are so much fun and there's so many visually creative things. And it has a really wonderful climax, which involves, time distortion which is just so creative and fun i don't know if you remember that climax but it's it's a it's a banger for sure i feel like there were two movies i really loved when i was a kid that i barely remember now Mm -hmm. and ice pirates is one of them Mm -hmm. there's another one i was just feverishly googling because i can't remember the name but i know they did a how did this get made episode about it and i was overjoyed about the kids who are like rollerblading around some kind of desert planet who play this weird sport. I don't know. It's not rollerball, right? <laughs> That's what I thought it was called, but I looked it up and that doesn't appear to no, be it. That doesn't involve kids for sure. That has James Caan in it, I think. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Keep keep talking though. I'll, I'll find it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to move on to the second part of the double feature. It's Ice Pirates was great. Really loved it. Second movie was even better, and that was Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven. I mean, you can't get much better than 
Paul Verhoeven when it comes to space sci-fi satire. And that's exactly what this is. It's basically a military satire about um, future humanity. Oh, wait, let's pause for a second because I see your face lighting up. Did you find it? found it it's called solar babies solar babies from 1986 director alan johnson written by Wayland green and da metrov i was not far off in a post-apocalyptic future ruled by the military a group of renegade teenage orphans find a legendary orb vodai that can supposedly bring the rain back to dried up earth oh wow that's very similar to ice pirates <laughs> yeah it was i mean Everything I remember about it was phenomenal. Jason Patrick was in it. Oh, wow. Speaking and of Jamie Terminator. Gertz, this is a name that I feel like I know, but I don't know why. Jamie Gertz. It sounds familiar. Peter DeLuise. So uh, I'm going to add Solar Babies to my watch list, maybe. That sounds fun. But, um, we're talking about Starship Troopers, which have you seen Starship Troopers? Of course I've seen Starship Troopers. I'm not a Philistine. This is the first time I've seen it. Well, so it was a, it was a trip. Yeah. Mil- military satire, sci-fi about in the future where Earth is at war with this planet of bugs. And um, in order to kind of be a citizen, like legally considered a citizen, which is uh, gives you a lot more rights in the world. You can join the military. That's a fast yeah, track to be a citizen. part of a fascist society. If I remember right, aren't there uh, at least Neil Patrick Harris is a psychic character who looks very much like an SS officer or something. <laughs> yes. Uniform. Yep. It's basically a trio of friends who go off to war. Um, well, four of them kind of Casper Van Dien is the one you really follow. Casper Van Dien has the, like the biggest jaw I've ever seen. He's made to be in a military movie. <laughs> and he just he's like such like a marine looking guy it works great if they uh, made a, a live action version of that uh arnold schwarzenegger character from the simpsons i feel like he should. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh denise richards is uh his love interest who um goes off to be a pilot a space pilot um neil patrick harris is the other friend who's the really smart one who goes off to be an officer and they paths kind of crisscross throughout the this multi-year war but it's very light on its feet great action the special effects really hold up verhoven kind of knows how to shoot it you can clearly see everything that's happening even the cgi bugs you can clearly see and they look great i was really impressed for 1997 looks so much better than most movies this movie is great for a couple reasons i think Mm -hmm. one is that the first time i saw it in 1997 I didn't realize it was military satire and I thought it worked. I think it works even if you don't realize what it's trying to say as like, it was kind of a hokey weird movie, Mm -hmm. like not what I expected to see, which is why I think it wasn't very well reviewed or received at the time. I don't think people were expecting it to be the satire that it was. Right. Um, But I personally still thought 17 year old me was entertained by this movie just as an action movie about a bunch of, uh, you know, war loving kids going off to kill some bugs. Yeah. Um, and then, but it and also then... like has so many more deeper levels once you mm-hmm. actually kind of, I guess, gain experience in the world and can recognize things like satire <laughs> more effectively that aren't, you know, Mel Brooks. Right. Right. I completely agree. Um, the opening scene is the, uh, like a commercial, like a, almost a recruitment commercial for, for, uh, joining the, the military. And it's so tongue in cheek and, and very, very funny. And that recurs throughout the movie very much kind of like Robocop has the commercials that pop up here and there. Yeah. It basically bookends the movie with a uh, spoiler alert for a 26 year old film, mm-hmm. um, at the end. So at the beginning, it's the, these characters doing the, uh, starring in these commercials, Mm-hmm. You know who you don't know. They're just older characters. And at the end of the movie, it's the three main people who are yep. now starring in these uh, propaganda commercials. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really good. Um, and so, yeah, just as a movie without thinking about the greater implications, it's just it's fast, action packed, three kind of like likable 
characters. Well, more than three. There's a whole bunch of them. Likeable characters just bouncing off each other in sci-fi action. Yeah, this was this is one of the, one of the good ones. Co-ed locker rooms, just weird stuff like that. I bet the seventeen-year-old you, you like that one. <laughs> I, I did appreciate uh, the co-ed locker rooms. Yep. I yeah, was a bigger fan of Izzy than I was of whatever Denise Car- Richards' character was, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. when she was the second woman to break my heart by sleeping with Patrick Muldoon. In the 90s. The first, of course, being Kelly Kapowski, who cheated on Zach with that same actor. Oh, wow. From well, we're going really deep into your psyche today. Yeah. He just steals people's girlfriends. He stole oh, wow. Denise Richards from Casper Van Dien in this, and he yes. stole Kelly Kapowski from Zach. God, what, you, a, Patrick what a Muldoon. jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> All right, I'm now anti him as well. Oh. Might be a bigger monster. <laughs> yes. Probably the not. Real just, <laughs> He's probably a nice guy. Patrick Muldoon, if you're listening, hit us up. We'll we'll have you on the episode. We'll get your side of the story. <laughs> Why did you think it was okay to hit on Kelly when you knew she had a boyfriend? You were just co-workers at the max. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, Starship Troopers. Kind of a must-watch movie. I gave it four and a half stars. In Love it. Approaching five, for sure. All right, Eric, is there anything else you want to talk about today before we get into our main topic? I'm ready to get into it. All right. So this is a movie off of my watch list that you picked. So I will give a brief summary. The movie for today is The Hunt for Red October, 1989, John McTiernan. In the midst of the Cold War, CIA operative Jack Ryan, Alec Baldwin, has intel about a new Russian submarine nicknamed Red October a submarine that has mysterious doors on its outside. Doors that turn out to be a new silent engine that will allow this huge machine to slip right past the U.S. defenses and deliver death from below. It is being captained by Scottish, I mean Russian, I mean Lithuanian captain Marco Ramius, played by Sean Connery, one of Russia's best commanders, except he appears to have gone rogue, disobeying the Russian leaders and stealing the submarine. Is he taking this machine of death on a mission to attack the U.S.? Or is he defecting from his beloved mother Russia? Jack Ryan thinks it's the latter and is sent out on the mission into the deep sea to find Red October and learn the truth at any cost. Mostly the cost is to the American taxpayers who have to pay (laughs) for his crazy stunts. Yes. (laughs) I I had this on my wish list, my watch list, uh, mainly because it was John McTiernan movie I had not seen. And, you know, it seemed like a nice, like adult thriller action movie. And I feel like I got most of that from watching it. Yeah. I remember this being such a huge movie in the nineties and I just never saw it. Yeah. But I always remember the trailer and like, I don't know. Submarine movies are this weird genre that there aren't many of them. Um, but they all have that same look, probably because they're on submarines that are like have that red light, I guess, in the background or everything is right. so cramped mm-hmm. that uh, I was wondering how you'd feel about, you know, people trapped in a place. It's a little <laughs> bit of a different kind of thing, but it's also not that different. Yeah. I, so you're referring to my obsession with people trapped in one room locations, <laughs> movies about yeah, that. your abduction fantasies. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, so the, there's one big difference um, between this and that. And it's why I liked, like John McTiernan. It's because he, he's very good with stories that take place in multiple locations with multiple, multiple things happening at once. Die Hard, of course, being the prime example mm-hmm. where you get to see everything inside the building and outside the building and every character feels fun and interesting. Red October has some of that. I felt it at times when, for example, the sonar, the sonar techs in the, in the Scott Glenn submarine were kind of, you know, tracking red October. Mm-hmm. Like that was a cool scene. I was like, okay, now I'm feeling like this is a John McTiernan doing what he does. You know, when I felt it the most, mm-hmm. the very end, uh, if I wrote notes for this podcast, I would have written down, <laughs> um, 
as soon as they send Alec Baldwin after there's a saboteur on the ship who's kind of been acting this whole time to defeat yeah. the defection, which was like a weird kind of confusing thing to have in there because I, I, I don't know. Did he know what was going on and how? Mm-hmm. Um, not really explored effectively, in my opinion. But anyway, at one point, Alec Baldwin has to chase after this guy and he suddenly becomes John McClane. <laughs> yes. He, like, that's the only part... Uh, the Jack Ryan character is kind of like a nerdy, like a Da Vinci Code kind of mm-hmm. CIA analyst who just spends a lot of time staring blankly and then all of a sudden has a solution in, in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and d- doing his patent, uh, Alec Baldwin kind of gravelly, oh my God. You know, and then he just knows something out of nowhere from piecing things together in his mind. Um, but in that scene where he's like chasing him through, I guess maybe the reactor core or whatever. Well, yeah, everything looked like it should not have been not be shot with bullets. <laughs> that that area, yeah, I, or like a rave or something. I don't know. <laughs> but he's like he's like flipping out one liners, but just for two minutes. You know? Right. He becomes yeah. John McClane. He's like, uh, Sean Connery gets shot and he has to let him go, and he says, you know, things in here don't react well to bullets. He's like, yeah, like me. I don't react well to bullets. That's the only time in the movie where Jack Ryan seems to have much personality at all. Well, that that's interesting you say that. I did what I liked most about this, besides those little touches, were was Jack Ryan. I thought the character is a cool character, like like a nerd, the smartest guy in the room, kind of like man, now this nerd has to go, you know, fly in a helicopter and get put on a submarine and like do you know crazy stuff. And yeah, previously he was like he's a suave nerd. He yeah, was not he like was. a nerd. No, he just no, he wasn't, wasn't like it's the genre is interesting to me in that um, I was going to save this for talking about my film, but mm-hmm. I feel like they don't make a lot of this kind of political military thriller. That's like mm-hmm. kind of toes the line of action, but isn't really. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like one of those three characters that I think kind of define what the genre to me is anyway. So it's like him, uh, Jack Reacher and um, Jason Bourne are kind of like different sides of the same character. And he's like the nerdy one, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He's not like super nerd, like revenge of the nerds. He's just, he's just a smart analyst and yeah, yeah he definitely can hold his own, um, in the physical sense, but well, they tell I you did... his backstory at one point, he was, uh, he was a Marine and then there was a helicopter accident. So he's got mm. like, would they say a janky back or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't really seem to come into play. They just kind of say that but no. he's never, you know, he gets dropped from a helicopter <laughs> into the freezing cold North Atlantic ocean. <laughs> and he's just like a little cold. <laughs> he's running on adrenaline. See the, the scene after the credits when he's in traction, that, that, that's, not, that's not a real scene, but you can picture it. <laughs> so, so we should talk a little bit about the plot. So it, cause that's where most of my issues with this movie stand. Really? Because I think uh, yeah. it's a, a simple plot told in a complicated way, but I think that was intentional. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely hiding things from the audience, which leads to tension, which is great. Like not knowing what, because for the most of the movie, you don't know what Sean Connery's plan is. You don't know if he's defecting. You don't know if he's going to. Um, oh, I thought know, it was just, clear, but uh, you know, spoiler I mean, alert. Well, I also read this book like 20 years ago. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> well, it was clear. Maybe, I don't know. 45 minutes into the movie at some point, but for mm-hmm. for most of the beginning, you don't know what exactly is happening. Yeah. Why Sean Connery. Bre- one? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Connery is like this, uh, I guess kind of the grandfather of the sub fleet. He seems mm-hmm. like, I think they say something about him teaching, you know, generations of submarine pilots or captains right. or whatever the, the proper term is. Mm-hmm. So he's taking this experimental stealth sub, uh, for its first mission. Yes, which is just a test run, not supposed to do anything crazy. Yeah, and then he immediately kills the political officer on board the ship, which I guess is the representative of the government. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's 
just on every Russian naval vessel or sounds like it yeah. that really is, but that's kind of what it seems like um, mm-hmm. and takes control of the ship on his own. Right. And that's where the tension comes in. Cause at that point you don't really know what he's up to. Yeah. He and... has both military uh, nuclear keys, which in the nineties was a very scary thing. <laughs> yes. And Tim Curry is the only one who's like, you, sh- you shouldn't have both of those keys. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Tim Curry because I did not remember this cast being as insane as it was. Stacked. Sam Neill is like the other Russian um, naval officer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like pretty early on they have a conversation that's about them. You know, uh, Sam Neill wants to live in Montana. That's a little later in the movie. Yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Because, yeah, I didn't think it was I thought it was clear to the audience what was going on, but it was not clear to the actors, which in my mind is even more tense because, you know, what they should be doing. And half the time, you know, America basically kind of seems like a lot of this movie. They mm-hmm. want to blow up the Russian sub. Right, right. Yeah, makes sense. I, we know that they shouldn't. I think I think the movie does both because uh, I may be just dumb and didn't catch on for a half hour that they were defecting. I'll go with but, that one. <laughs> but in my viewing, I was like, okay, I'm not sure what's happening until it becomes clear, maybe 30 to 40 minutes in, that they're defecting. And at that point, um, Jack Ryan and the U.S. government still doesn't know. So there's a whole other hour of them, you know, not sure if they're going to attack the sub or what they're going to do about it. So, yeah, so uh, Sean Connery. Um, so one interesting thing at the beginning is the Russians are all speaking Russian. And this movie does a cool thing where uh, one of the guys is reading this poem in Russian. The camera zooms into his mouth and it changes. He starts reading it in English and it zooms out, implying that they're still speaking in Russian. We're just hearing it now in English. It's a, it's, it's a cool idea. I thought that was really well done. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. Mm-hmm. I, I really was sitting there and I'm like, I feel like I remember them speaking English a lot in this movie. Why is all of this in Russian? This is too much Russian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the smart. Know, I like that. I had no idea how they were going to transition. And I thought that was like a really unique way to do it and very cool. Mm-hmm. My only problem with it is Sean Connery still sounds Scottish. So it's a little, <laughs> it's a little taking, take, took me out of it a little bit there. You can't tell the con man what to do. I, I know, right? <laughs> um, so eventually, you know, the audience figures out that they are defecting and they are, the Russian military knows this is happening. So they send all the submarines out to stop Red October, to destroy it. And we have the U.S. seeing all this activity and knowing that the, that submarine is out and escaped from Russia and not sure what to do about it. So there's a whole bunch of activity on the U.S. side. There's activity on the Russian side. You get to see a lot of the uh, interior of one of the main U.S. subs captained by Scott Glenn, who I thought was great. Scott Glenn was my, one of my favorite parts of this movie. I thought just about everyone in this movie was great. Yeah. You get to see the, uh, I guess, the Russian ambassador and one of the high-ranking U.S. officials have some fun meetings where Russia is trying to downplay what is happening, asking for the U.S.'s help in finding this submarine. And the whole time, Alec Baldwin is trying to get to the submarine and no one knows exactly where it is. So there's a lot of like um, I guess like underwater tracking and analytics to like figure it out where the sub might be. Yeah, my one problem, I think, watching this movie was that there were a fair number of underwater shots. And I don't know if it was my TV or if it was mm-hmm. just a lack of technology when they must have shot this in 88 or 89, mm-hmm. uh, but they were really dark and I had no idea what was going on in some of those shots. Right. At least yeah. on my screen, I was like, I think those are supposed to be two submarines, but they could be whales. <laughs> I agree. I have a pretty good, uh, setup with my, 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 uh, color balance and stuff on the TV. And it, it was hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a one question. Mm-hmm. 
Well, multiple questions, but this movie came out on my birthday in 1990. So March 2nd, 1990. The Berlin Wall fell on November 9th, 1989. How pissed do you think they were when that happened? <laughs> they were like, wait, 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 wait. Could you just wait? Because this is going to be a lot less threatening with the fall of communism. Yeah, we need this Cold War to continue. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please just give us another five months or so? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, I don't think it mattered because I think this was a big hit. It was a blockbuster hit <laughs> yeah. from what I remember anyway. So eventually Alec Waldwin makes his way to the submarine, um, to Scott Glenn's submarine where they're able to make contact with um, Sean Connery's character in what I thought was the best scene in the movie where Scott Glenn really just wants to shoot down the sub. It's like their only chance to do it without them knowing. And Alec Baldwin convinces him just, we need, we need to contact them because they are defecting. And he, he convinces them that that's the case. And then they have this like, I want a Morse code standoff sort of thing. It was very tense. Yeah, it was it's almost cool. like like a two boat Mexican standoff where the yeah. one has their tattoo uh, tattoos, their torpedoes locked and loaded, and the other one has their tubes flooded, but the ta- uh, torpedo bay doors closed, mm-hmm. and they're like speaking in code through Morse code, right? And pings, they're which pinging each other, of, yeah. Just one ping. <laughs> Just one ping, which I didn't get, but I mean, they figured it out. So I guess yeah. it's okay. I mean, I didn't get it because it's like. I was like, how did they know that one ping means yes or whatever? <laughs> what I liked about it is that the movie doesn't really explain it, but you know through context clues and just the tense and how people are acting what is happening. Oh, yeah. I had yeah. no problem with it. I was just like, yeah. I don't know how they know what that means, but okay. <laughs> I was along yeah. for the ride and I was happy to be there. Exactly. That was my favorite scene. Uh, after that, the one of the students of Sean Connery, um, who is now a sub pilot himself, sub captain, finally catches up to Red October and he's going Stellan to Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. Yep, he's going to destroy Red October. And now that um, everybody's on one, everyone now is on Red October. Scott Glenn, Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, and they have to fight off this submarine with their, you know, ragtag crew of Americans and Russians. Like a skeleton crew, because they also evacuated uh, part of the ruse was it was just the officers in on this defection. um, And they faked like a radiation leak so they could evacuate everyone else who wasn't in on the plan. So there was like... Mm -hmm a barely manned sub against, I guess a guy who was built up to be um, Sean Connery's like star pupil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that's a, uh, at that point in the movie, I think it lost me a little bit. Um, it just became sta- sub action <laughs> subs fighting each other. And then uh, the whole thing where, like you said, where Alec Baldwin turns into John McClane. Mm-hmm. I I felt like the the climax of the movie was leading up to them just figuring out and making contact with Sean Connery. That was my climax. Like I liked that part and everything That's where afterwards. You came. I yes. came when the uh, torpedo blew up Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> Even though that was a very confusing thing to me that I just laughed at because it's this kind of movie where I'm not going to spend so much time analyzing it. But basically right. they shoot a torpedo at a different American. I believe it was another American sub, wasn't it? Or it might have been a warship mm-hmm. that uh, takes countermeasures. Oh, you know what? It's the original American sub. Uh, yeah. It's just that half the crew is on. So right. they do their countermeasures to confuse the torpedo. And then they say a line like, well, now it's just going to find another target. And I'm like, what? But it has no way of knowing. Like they, they trick the uh, torpedo, the, the Russian captain into like disabling whatever safety measures. And it's some kind of homing torpedo. And I was just like, is that really how it would work? So the torpedo comes back and kills the ship that shot it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know I, that's uh, how it should work. But this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and that's what happens. And then uh, 
the Americans now have Red October, and they go and hide it in a river in Maine, and Russia thinks it As sank. one does, the Penobscot. Yes. <laughs> Russia thinks it sank, although they have their suspicions, but they, you know, no one can prove anything. And uh, Alec Baldwin is right. So Alec Baldwin is always right. Alec Baldwin, I loved him in this movie, but um, I, I was also watching it and I have the hardest time separating him from his 30 Rock character, Jack Donaghy. <laughs> Yeah. And he sounds exactly the same in this movie. It's almost to the point where I forget that Alec Baldwin is a film actor and not just Jack Donaghy. And he speaks <laughs> exactly the same. So I was just sitting there like half the time wondering if Jack Donaghy's like voice and delivery is Alec Baldwin or right. if he based that on his portrayal of Jack Ryan. <laughs> the hunt if you haven't for... watched 30 Rock, you should because it is phenomenal. The hunt for 30 Rocktober. <laughs> yes it's perfect <laughs> so no i i agree i agree um he's a victim of his own success in a way <laughs> so my my problem lies in like i said some of the script stuff i wasn't sure about sean connery's motivation it wasn't super clear why he was doing this and some of the things he was doing was not clear like why was he purposely um you know, rushing through that that underwater tunnel that they found, and there were some maneuvers that he was doing, which I don't know. It felt like he was doing it just for drama, just for script I drama. I, I, the motivation is the thing I agree with. I think the rest of it was just like they were trying to get as far away as fast as they could without being detected. I think their ultimate goal was to just like show up in America and be like, Hey, we're here. We're defecting like with their suitcases in tow. And just like, you know, on a dock, wherever Um, (laughs) I kind of got that part, but they seem to imply, I don't know if it was something with his wife dying. Um, That was a very stark difference that I think showed at least Uh, the Russian political officer in the beginning is just like, I forget how he phrased it, but it wasn't about, you know, sorrow for his wife dying. It was very callous, like whatever your wife is dead. And then the Americans were much more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it was just supposed to be understood. It's 1990 and Russia communism sucks bad. Yeah. Maybe I'm just missing some political context there, but I thought yeah. it would have helped if I, if I really, well, I think you're right sense. because a successful film doesn't require you to be living in 1990 America to understand people's motivations. Yes. Very and I think point. that's probably part of it. But it's not to say that I didn't like the movie. I just had some issues that caused it from really, you know, singing to me. Um, I liked, like I said, following all the side characters that kind of revolved around this plot that interacted with each other, James Earl Jones and Scott Glenn and some like really great performances all around. So I'm at uh, a three and a half stars. I think as boring as it is, I think I'm going to give it the same rating. Hmm. Okay. We are in agreement. Maybe 3.75 if we're doing quarter stars. Right, right. Okay. If we're doing eighths, three and five eighths. You know, I, I'm American. I don't understand fractions very well. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I, what would the metric star rating be? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, all right. Well, as the, as our podcast uh, goes on we should talk about the movies that we were inspired to watch based on this one i'd like to go first if you don't mind i prefer if you go first um so hunt for october is the first jack ryan movie based on a tom clancy tom clancy famous tom clancy character the next one in the series 1992's Patriot Games. Oh my God, we did! <laughs> yeah, oh, we did. We picked a, the same movie. I had a strong feeling that this was the week. <laughs> uh, very oh my exciting. God, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> 1992, Philip Noyce. Noyce. Yeah, Noyce is the only way I will ever say your name, Philip Noyce. 
Oh man, would you like to to describe the plot of Patriot Games? <laughs> yeah, so uh, this might be the one of the earliest Sean Bean films I've ever seen. Um, so Jack, Jack analyst, Jack Ryan is now an analyst in London, which I think he was briefly in London in the hunt for red October as well. Yeah. Uh, He he keeps saying his recurring line in the hunt for red October is next time I'll send a telegram or something, which is not (laughs) referring to uh, a social media platform in 1990. Um, so he's in London and he stops the assassination of a British, politician who i'm not sure exactly what his position was but he's like the cousin to the queen i guess yeah Um, unimportant i think yeah yeah so sean bean and his brother were attempting to assassinate this person um and jack ryan just springs right into action kill sean bean's brother which you know is not a good thing to do nope sean bean dies enough in his movies he doesn't (laughs) need his family and friends dying um, he's some kind of, I believe, IRA or Sinn Féin uh, Irish terrorist. And that is the setup for the movie. Essentially, um, the rest of the movie is Sean Bean trying to get revenge on Jack Ryan, who is now played by Harrison Ford. And it is very much the fugitive. <laughs> yes. I. Uh, so the interpretation of the character feels very different in this movie in from the opening scene, you know, when the assassination is happening and, and Jack Ryan is not even on duty. He's just, you know, just gave a speech and he's just walking and he just happens to be in the right place at the right time and goes all Harrison Ford on these guys, does his thing and, you know, stops an assassination. Uh, good for him. Maybe the events of the hunt for red October healed his back injury. Yes, maybe. <laughs> and then um, from then on, the movie, I felt the character was way too passive. He was, there's a middle section where he becomes an analyst again, but for most of the movie, he's just kind of on the defensive for this uh, extremist faction of the IRA that's out to get him. I agree. I do think there were some elements that they kept, uh, including James Earl Jones as the same character. Yes, that is true. Uh, but uh, there was still once, at least once he becomes an analyst. So there's a scene, um, of course, Sean Bean gets uh, sprung from prison and then goes to America to try to avenge his brother's death with this uh, attractive English woman who apparently is for some reason wants Ireland to be freed from England. Yeah. They never really explain her motivations at all, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but they, they go across the pond as they would say to commit some murders, to <laughs> yes. do some criming. Um, they end up crashing, forcing his wife to crash the car with his daughter played by Thora Birch in it. Yes, that's true. Um, the daughter ends up, I believe in a coma. She has to have a bunch of operations or something. She lost her spleen. Oh, not a splenectomy. <laughs> Oof. Uh, they also try to kill Harrison Ford, but of course he figures it out and kills the. Well, he doesn't kill the guy, but he fights the guy instead. Before yeah. um, he's now a teacher at the Naval Academy, is what I gathered from right. that kind of scene. And yeah, yeah. So they think for at least a while, Sean Bean believes that he killed his mother and daughter. They end up in Northern Africa. There is so much traveling in this movie. (laughs) This takes place like between scenes, but seems Mm -hmm. to also be teleportation. Like at one point, um, he, Jack Ryan is trying to get the name or where Sean Bean is after he is back in the fold at the CIA. Mm -hmm. And he's just like in Ireland talking to the head what I'm gathering was the head of the IRA or a higher up. <laughs> and he just goes to a bar. He's there for one scene for 10 minutes in a bar threatening this guy. And then he's back <laughs> in America. So I wasn't sure where that bar was. I couldn't tell if it was an Irish bar in America or what. Cause that guy then shows up at the hospital in America. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I assumed it was in Ireland. And then I think that was confirmed later when, oh somebody uh his boss at the cia takes him aside and he's like what am i supposed to do with you you go to this guy's home bar 
surrounded by his friends and threaten him. And now you're back here or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, so I took that to mean that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can believe it. Yeah. This is pre nine 11 travel where you can just get on a plane and go anywhere. Nobody had to Either take their shoes off. It even was if you're a wanted terrorists. You can just travel. 1992. We may have been living in paradise and didn't even know it. Yep. So yeah, the, the movie kind of moves along as you would expect. And then, um, Harrison Ford becomes an analyst and has some very hilarious um, ways that he figures out where Sean Bean is, <laughs> mainly by walking into a women's bathroom by accident and seeing a woman <laughs> there. <laughs> how do we know it was an accident? <laughs> That's true. He He's walks such a smart into- individual. I don't know how he could end up in a women's bathroom accidentally. <laughs> well, whatever the case. Jack Ryan's kink. When he sees this woman and her red hair, he flashes back to the incidences, the assassination, then when he was almost killed by these people, and he sees in his mind's eye that there's a woman there, and that's like the key to unlocking this, is track the woman. As goofy as that was, yes, I have to say that I think Noyce did a better <laughs> job than McTiernan in that one fairly small respect because in the hunt for red October, Alec Baldwin does just kind of stare at things <laughs> and then say stuff. And you're like, what, what at least he provided, it, it was probably not the most effective mm-hmm. thing, but right. at least he provided some kind of clue to the audience as to what was happening in his face or in those moments. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. There's some internal logic there. Whereas in Red October, you just have to understand Jack Ryan's the smartest guy in the room. He's going to figure it out. And he this just one, like they... looks off for a second and then says something totally unconnected to anything else <laughs> in this team. And you're like, I guess he's smart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can see that. Even if the reason that Harrison Ford's Jack Ryan figured it out is pretty dumb. <laughs> it is dumb. It was dumb. And I was actually thinking because they show this woman Early in the movie, she kills um, some other IRA agents mm-hmm. wearing a wig, which is weird. Does she just wear that wig all the time because they know her as the woman with the red hair in the whole movie? But she takes off a wig after killing this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also thinking like, wait, was that her in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I thought that, too. I didn't I like... know if that was supposed to be the woman or just a woman who kind of looked a lot like her. Yes, it was the movie seemed to imply that that was her just in the way it was shot. But then, of course, it wasn't. Yeah. But at the time, I was tricked as well. Yeah, I have to say, I really enjoyed this movie. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed both of these movies. And I think it just harkened back to like a different kind of action movie than we get today. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of more of, I guess, a thriller. There's yeah. a patience and like a deliberate way that these movies are made to kind of like ratchet up the tension without relying on more stylistic elements, whether that be like crazy cool cinematography and lighting or mm. just everything blowing up everywhere. And don't get me wrong. I love John Wick. <laughs> I will watch John Wick or yep. a Fast and the Furious movie any day yep. and I will be in heaven. But it was just like nostalgic and refreshing to have a movie that was shot like a regular movie. If that makes sense. Like this could have been, this was shot the same way you would have shot like a courtroom drama, you know, just Mm -hmm. like the kind of camera angles, the lighting, everything looked normal. Um, I agree. It's definitely like an adult thriller and they don't really make them anymore. Yeah. And Harrison Ford was like the, the king of those back in the day. Yeah, and everything had time to kind of like breathe and um, Mm. yeah, just patience, I think. I've heard that this described as a dad thriller, (laughs) and I think that fits perfectly. It's the type of movie that like dads would like. My dad would have loved this movie. I (laughs) probably saw it and did love it. I don't know. Yeah. So for me, um, I completely agree. I just don't think Patriot Games was a good example of like a good example it's a good example but i didn't think it was a well made or that interesting i thought it was kind of dumb and slow and it didn't have the energy that i'd like 
for it didn't have like an active character. It doesn't like like you were saying, it doesn't need to, to have explosions and action all the time. But I felt like Harrison Ford's Jack Ryan was too on the defensive for a lot of it. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I think this movie gets a couple uh, points on the star meter from me based strictly on that feeling of like almost novelty, but also um, nostalgic novelty of like, Oh, yeah. this is what they used to make these. They used to make this kind of movie and they don't. And I haven't seen one, I think in years. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I uh, watched the fugitive a couple months ago and that was one that I felt is a much better example. Feels the same, but it's just a much better movie also with Harrison Ford, of course. So that I, that I recommend if you're still in the mood to watch that again. I was probably going to go to uh, Clear and Present Danger. Yes, I know. Me too. Got to get all the deaths in next Jack Ryan movie. And then we can move on to Ben Affleck as Jack Ryan. <laughs> that was, the, you know, I, that was very close to being my selection. The Sum of All Fears? Is that the name? The Sum of All Fears, because that was, uh, I went through, I don't know where I got these books from, but in the early to mid 2000s, I came into possession of a number of Tom Clancy books that I definitely didn't buy because I, I just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I read them because I had nothing else to read at the time. And yeah, I read the hunt for red October and the sum of all fears, mm-hmm. or at least I think that's the other one I read, right? which was about them trying to blow up the Super Bowl with an atomic oh. bomb. And that's, <laughs> that's when I realized how pompous Tom Clancy is. He had a whole foreword in the book, reassuring the reader that even though he wrote about nuclear, uh, the, the process of nuclear, explosions that terrorists don't worry terrorists are not going to be able to read this book and make a bomb and i'm like terrorists are not reading your books tom clancy no one's going <laughs> to yeah. look at this as a guide to make an atomic bomb you pompous ass oh man tom clancy <laughs> but yeah he's like don't worry i changed something so they can't use this as a manual he's just saying that was never a worry kidnapped. bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh man, the terrorists going to Barnes and Noble. Although, like, their... it would be a funny skit to to show a terrorist reading this book, and then he gets to that part of it, and he's like, oh, "I wasted all this time." <laughs> oh man, I bought all these ingredients. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, my final thoughts on this one. Yeah, pretty average for me. I gave it two and a half stars. I did like Sean Bean. You know what? I think. I've heard it said that Sean Bean should pronounce his name Seen Bean. And I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I would rank this a lot higher than you. I think I just, I love Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. He can do no wrong. Um, yeah. And he just brings so much joy to my heart when I watch his film. So I would rate this even with the Hunt for Red October, even though I think on like a technical level, it is definitely not as good a movie i enjoyed it just as much all right well said all right well i guess it's time to dig into your watch list for me to pick something fun something good i I have been um you know looking and digging through your list and two movies jumped out at me but i think i'm going to go with um well wait can you tell me the two and i'll try to guess which one okay the two were death stalker and i'm totally fine i don't know what either of those are so i am gonna <laughs> guess death stalker well you were wrong i have picked i'm totally fine uh directed by brandon Dermer in 2022 did you just make this up and put it on my what? list somehow this is on your list I've heard good things about it. It's a. Hulu I've heard it's totally movie. fine. <laughs> it's a, a woman in mourning takes a solo trip to clear her head after the death of her friend. However, Vanessa's self care vacation plans change when she's met with a situation out of this world. I hope this stars the situation. It stars Jillian Bell, who I quite like, Natalie Morales. What the hell is this? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess you're going to find out. It's on your list. Some of the people I follow gave it quite high ratings on Letterboxd. So. Oh, I wonder if this was maybe on... Um, I will periodically go into 
canopy and just add things to my watch list. I wonder if that's where this came from. Hmm. Well, it's good. It'll be a mystery because I don't really know much about about it besides what I said. So. All right. Well, I'm excited. It's got 3.1 on Letterbox, so it can't be like a steaming pile of dog shit. <laughs> yep. We never watch those. Oh, oh, it's got Harvey Guillen in it. I don't know who that is. So I am now I'm regretting saying that. I wonder if he's the right guy. <laughs> I think he might be in that what we do in the shadows TV show. Ah. Well, uh, I guess we'll have to. Yes. Okay, good. I'm not an idiot. Well, you may be, but not for that reason. Well, yeah, there are many reasons. Such sights to see, along with my other projects, can be found on proleary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. <laughs>